0: And for those of you that haven't been with us or you've missed a week or two, we are paralleling, is that a word? Can I say that, paralleling? Paralleling. Um, We are drawing a parallel between Christ's birth and the birth of our church. And so, really felt like God deposited that in my my heart. (laughs) It, It was a pretty huge compliment when I was talking to Pastor Benson over the phone. He goes, John, did you come up with that or did you get that from someplace else? And I said... I, I, I came up with that. It felt like God gave me that. And so huge compliment. Um, Luke 2, look at 8. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. is pleased. Father in heaven, we have heard this so many times, but Father, I pray that as we look at it today, that this isn't just some exaggerated story. This is a, an account of things that took place regarding Jesus' birth. And Father, I thank you that we know the account is reliable because other manuscripts and other writings that have been hundreds of years after the occurrence have been received as reliable. And Father God, we know that this was written within a hundred years. And Father, I ask that you would use these truths so that we would more than just see Christmas in a different way, we would see you in a different way. Father, meet us here today. Speak to our hearts today, we ask and pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You can be seated. I I, I love so many things about the, the the shepherds experience here. First of all, I love that the birth of Christ was first announced to shepherds. And a shepherd was interviewed. I believe it was Adam Hamilton, Pastor Adam Hamilton that interviewed a shepherd. And he said, why do you think that the birth of Christ was first announced to shepherds? And he said, because they're the most humble people. Shepherds were despised. Shepherds were looked down upon. They were almost seen as outcasts because picture a shepherd with a bunch of sheep not owning any property but just roaming all over the place and their sheep leaving a mess wherever they went. Shepherds were not were not res- highly respected they 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 weren 't seen as as upper class they were looked down upon and they were seen as troublesome and people did not want them or their animals on their property and out of all the people that God could appear to and speak to first and foremost it 's the shepherds and he just didn 't appear to them in any old fashion, the Bible says and I love the way the New Living translation puts it it says that the, the armies of heaven, older versions will say, the hosts of heaven. How many of you know when the Bible uses plural, like hosts and, and armies, that it's not just a few, it's many. It's many, many, many. And the glory of the Lord and the radiance of the Lord, it said, it surrounded them. And rightly so, they were terrified. And we know that the angels said, you know, don't be afraid, for unto you this day in the city of David, the Savior is born. Literally had to tell them, don't be afraid. Anytime it's God, God will speak and he'll declare. Anytime something's demonic, it's confusing, you don't know what happened. Anytime there is a supernatural presence and experience with God, God will speak to you through that instance. Anytime something's demonic, it leaves you with questions. It leaves you confused. People that have seen ghosts, those ghosts don't communicate anything. They walk through the room and look at you, and they keep walking. And I believe in ghosts, I just don't believe they're ghosts. I just don't believe that that is dead Uncle Edgar or you know Aunt Agatha and they're just walking through the room and looking at us or sitting in a corner in a rocking chair and rocking and, and I, I believe that those are demons. I believe in angels and demons. And anything that is godly declares its purpose. Anything that is ungodly leaves you confused. Because the devil doesn't want you having a purpose. He doesn't want you thinking you were born with a purpose. Doesn't want you to know that there's a plan and a reason for your existence. He wants you thinking that there's no reason for your existence. Why are you even still alive? Take your life, get out of here. And so when God appears to those shepherds, he declares why they're appearing. And anytime God's presence, you're in God's presence anytime, God is always speaking. He's always declaring. That's why I get so excited about the worship service. Some people, you know, they they struggle through the, the worship service. I love the worship service because so often God speaks in moments like that. And the wrestling matches on. God speaks your heart and you wrestle with it in your head. And I love those moments. But here in Christ's birth, the presence of God was there. And there were signs and wonders confirming such. I want to read Mark 16 to you, 17 and 18. Mark 16, 17 and 18. I'm right there. It says, These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. Who do signs and miracles and wonders accompany? They accompany believers. Believers. That's why unbelievers will say things like, well, I don't see that stuff happening. Well, you're probably not hanging around it either says these signs these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe they will cast out demons in my name they'll speak in new languages older versions tongues they'll be able to handle snakes with safety and we're not doing any snake handling here and if they drink anything poisonous it won't hurt them they'll be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed signs and wonders accompany the presence of god they accompany those who Believe Well, Pastor John, I haven't seen anybody healed lately. How many sick people have you prayed for? For every question you've got, I've got a question. You know, why isn't God doing anything about the starving children in this country or that country? Why aren't you doing anything? I'm real careful to ask God any questions because I'm afraid he's going to ask me, why aren't you doing something about that? What are you doing? You live in the wealthiest nation in the world. Why aren't you doing something about it? So Easy. So easy for us to ask. I think we could learn an awful lot from the birth of Jesus. There was good news. There was great joy. God was worshiped, and God was praised. In the birth of Restore Church, the presence of God was there. And here at Restore Church, we place a premium and a high value upon the presence of God. And keep in mind, that in the early days of our church, even full gospel churches were beginning to go seeker friendly um, because of churches like Willow Creek that were just blowing, blowing up, and so they were just singing a couple, couple songs. Did not want to offer a worship experience. They wanted to provide like a few songs. Some churches were even playing some trendy secular music as you walked. In the front door, but we were never like that, and we never wanted to be like that because we so valued God, God's presence. And I realized that as the pastor of the church, that things trickle down and they they come down that way. Well, the presence of God was very profound in my life, so I'm this you know this this partier, and I'm hungover on coke, and I go to this church service for the first time, and the first thing that I remember was feeling God's presence. And when you experience God's presence, you're immediately now in a struggle. Because you can't deny that he's real because you felt him. Nobody can talk you out of something that you've experienced. An opinion or a view, sure. But an experience, man, that's very difficult. I experienced God's presence and I and I didn't know what to do with it. And so I had to go back again because I was wrestling. Why did I experience God's presence? If he is real, why, 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 why? And like a toddler with a whole bunch of whys, you know, I went back again and again and again. God's presence was life-changing for me, life-changing. And I believe with all of my heart that if we do anything well at this church, we're gonna offer services where you can experience the presence of God. Now, what you do with that, that's up to you. We force no one to worship God. We force no one to enter in to a worship experience, but we believe in more than just a hymn sing. We believe in entering into. It's not that I have a problem with older, with older hymns. We do older hymns, but we're going to do them in a way that you can enter into a worship experience with them. And at some point in the ballgame, there's this moment of surrendering a worship service, whether it's outwardly noticed or not. And I'm not saying that there's any posture that you should adopt that says you're more spiritual or you're more of a worshiper. Worship could be standing there with tears rolling down your face. Worship can be hands surrendered. Well, Pastor John, if I don't raise my hands, does that mean I'm not surrendered? No. But also know that the extension of the hands means more than surrender biblically. The word thanksgiving means with extended hands. You're just grateful and thankful, oh God. I cannot help every time in God's presence, I'm in God's presence to think about where I'd be. Man, I'd still be smoking pot and snorting Coke and hash and eating mushrooms, and I'd still be doing all of that. And and the crazy thing, I was up till five in the morning snorting Coke, and I think about this all the time. Five in the morning snorting Coke with my buddy who was a Coke dealer. Tommy Harris, the crazy thing about it is I never remember when I came to church having a hangover. I, I do not remember that. I, ju- I just, I-, I-, I don't remember it. I remember immediately feeling like this atmosphere is different. It's different. It feels different. This is a different atmosphere. So when we started this church, Man, we, we placed a, a premium on God's presence. Even in the beginning, if it was just a guy with an acoustic guitar, I could care less. You know, buddy, just get us there. I, I, I don't care, you know, how we get there. I just want to be there. No real strategy for it. Just wanted to be in God's presence. And God confirmed uh, the birth of our church with signs and wonders. Um, when we were meeting in Rick and Kristen Johnson's house, Dennis Priest was healed of multiple sclerosis. Some of you were there. And it was just a powerful, powerful moment. And what that did for, for us, um, it meant so much, Dennis's healing meant so much to us, and he still attends, and he's you know in his 70s now, and he's just this year taking a break from children taking a break from children because he's been working with our kids for 21 years from the beginning. Absolutely loves kids. What that did for us, I cannot even tell you. So from the very first Bible study held in Rick and Kristen Johnson's home, there was worship. The word of God was always taught. The gifts of the Holy Spirit were in operation. Children were ministered to in the backyard. There was good news. There was great joy. God was worshiped and praised, and we grew. We grew. We grew out of the house and into the middle school Watt Auditorium, and we've got a a video that we want to show you, so check it out. From Rick and Kristen Johnson's house, uh, we needed to find a place that we could meet. We were outgrowing the Johnsons' home, and as much as Rick and Kristen loved having us in their home, and they really did, she actually said she missed us after we moved out, and I thought, are you kidding? I couldn't get us out of there fast enough. I thought, you know, this is crazy. This is our home. We needed to find a place. And we looked around and we looked around. And I knew some other churches had begun in in school auditoriums. In fact, the Grand Haven Resurrection Life Church, where I was ordained, began in the middle school um, auditorium. And so uh, we tried here, and they graciously decided to work with us. So for five and a half to almost six years we met here in the middle school Watt Auditorium here in Ionia and no air conditioning. Um, we used um, classrooms for um, nursery and, and children's space, you name it. Uh, we had guest speakers here um, and, and we grew here and prayed and prayed and prayed that we would be able to one day have a permanent home. We probably have looked at every facility in the Ionia area, but uh, it was here in The middle school Watt Auditorium that we really, really began to grow as a church. We grew from about 30 to maybe near 100. I'm sure there were, you know, weekends where we were over 100 people, but we grew to about 30 to 80, you know, to 100 uh, people here. And um, I will never forget um, being here in the Watt Auditorium. It was some of the most challenging times, but yet some of the most beautiful times. So from Rick and Chris and Johnson's house, we came here to the what, what, what? So I'm trying to be quiet. I get excited when I talk about this stuff. Here we began, and that's about all I got right now. Um, so <laughs> I'm a big man sponge. A big man. Um, I can start talking anytime. I, have, I, I don't remember all of those bloopers. Um, so I don't know if it's next week. I think it's next week. Um, our Kayla's favorite, and she saves them on her phone to make her laugh at times. Um, but, uh, so no telling um, what's, uh, what's going to happen. I want to, to, to make a few comparisons to Jesus' birth and the birth of of this church, as I stated, which is the reason for this series. Um, but for me, for me, God's presence meant everything. Because, to, for me, and I'm just and I, whether you want to say that's because you're the pastor, or just just as a Christian, God's presence my being able to experience God's presence, not just in the churches that I was on staff at or, or interned at, but here in the church that we began. For me, God's presence was like his, his John Hancock, his, his seal that he was pleased with what we were doing. For me, every time I sense God's presence, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful. God, thanks. Thanks. And I know that it might not be doctrinally sound to say this, but but God, thanks for, for showing up. In the sense that you know, that you manifested yourself so that people could feel you, so they could sense your presence. It it meant so much to me. Every service that the presence of God would just fall. We had, man, back in the day when we started, man, two, three. Our services, children's workers, so irritated with us. I didn't care. You know, I was just so grateful God's presence would show. I and mean, we did crazy stuff. I don't know if all of you would be attending if we were still doing some of the crazy stuff we did back in the day. Back in the day when I was wearing a suit and a tie, you know, no air conditioning, but I had to wear a suit and a tie because that's what pastors did. They wore a suit and a tie. So I'm just, just, you know, sweating through those messages. But it was some of the most beautiful um, Time, you know, when you don't have bells and whistles and you don't have incredible sound and and a space like this and you don't have, you know, the temperature that's regulated to everybody's liking to the best of our ability because there's always going to be somebody too hot and somebody too cold and, and we get that. We do our best. But you really discover who you are when all you have is Jesus. You really, really begin to discover who you are and we did Discover who we were. Uh, incredible prophecies were given. Our youth ministry started in Greg and Michelle Sauerbeck's home, and and it just started to to blow up. Uh, I can remember kids. Um, I was a youth pastor in the beginning. Um, Lisa and I even led worship in the in the early days of our church. And uh, you know, I would you know flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the draw really for the high school kids was that they said that I was a psychic. And so these kids would come, and this dude's a psychic. And so these kids were coming, and uh, you know, and they wanted to get prayed for so they could fall down again, um, you know. And they'd be holding hands, and they'd all want to, you know, go. I right, go, guys, man, this isn't Cedar Point, you know. Come on, um, let's grow through this. But God was just meeting us in just a real and a, and a genuine way. I I think of services past with. Um, ministers who are no longer with us, like Roosevelt Hunter and R. j Halls, love those guys. I miss them, um, and they went home way too soon, way too soon um, i am uh, so grateful for moments like that, but i want to I want to share really what I believe to be the crux of the Christmas message and um, why I love these verses so much. Go to Matthew um, chapter one, so I can give some legs to this. 123, Matthew 123. You got your Bibles, your digital device. 123. I'll be reading out of the New Living. It says, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I need you to see, and Matthew's gospel does it better than any of the four, I need you to see that God's desire was to be with us from the very beginning. So much so that prophecy declared that Jesus' name would be Emmanuel because it means God is with us. And there is not a gospel that shows this more clearly than Matthew from start to finish. And so I'm going to look at the beginning, as we just did Matthew 1, 23, and I want to look at the middle, look at Matthew 18, and then we're going to look at the end, Matthew 28. Go to Matthew 18, I believe it's verse 20. And I want you to see just how important it is to God that he is with us. And I know that this is a Christmas series, but I need you to see that the birth of Christ is still happening today. And each and every person that chooses to believe the birth of Christ happens in their heart and their life, and then they are born again. Look at Matthew eighteen twenty. For were two or three gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. See how God wants to be there with us. So much so that if there are two or three gathering together in his name, assembling in his name, that he's there among them, that he's there among them. Well, Pastor John, don't you think then that the church should go into um, home groups more than maybe they are? And I believe in, in, in home group ministry. We have home groups here at the church. But here's why I would challenge that. Because you're not guaranteed leadership in a home group. Fellowship but not leadership. And so because people gather, they they do experience the presence of the Lord, but there's no vision and there's no leadership, and so they don't go anywhere. And so it kind of fades after they've been gathering for a while. And I believe there needs to be vision, and there needs to be direction, and there needs to be leadership. Or why, in Ephesians 4, did Jesus give some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists? Why did he do that? I could take the same thinking and say that my kids don't have to go to school. I'm just going to give them the textbooks and they'll be fine. Christians think like that all the time. Man, I got a Bible. I don't know. No, 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 You need leadership because God gave some to be pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and evangelists. And those are all five fold, full-time ministry descriptions, and they are to equip the saints. So Christians believe that if they're just meeting together that, that they're fulfilling some kind of mandate on the earth and I'll say no you're not no you're not you're isolating you're not being equipped you're, you're just getting together for enjoyment and I believe the presence of God the gifts of the Holy Spirit it's more than for just our enjoyment it's for our employment we are meant to go out not go deep go out go out and make disciples of all men that's what we're meant to do and the church if it's doing its job should be encouraging that it should be equipping you and you should be getting the longer you're a Christian you should be getting a heart for people who don't know or who've been away or you should be getting a heart for those people it should be burning in you man pastor I'm concerned of course you are of course you are and something's wrong in the life of a believer that no longer has a passion for the lost no longer wants to be involved in ministry. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Healthy Christians are always growing. Healthy Christians are always growing. Go to Matthew 28. I'll look at two more verses, and with the time we got left, Matthew 28. 28, 20, I believe. So what I was referring to here, the Great Commission, look at 20. And then it says, teach these new disciples. So it's talking about more than just leading people to Christ. It's talking about teaching them, walking alongside of them. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love Matthew's gospel. Because it begins in Matthew 1:23 with Emmanuel, and it finishes with Emmanuel, God with us. The message of Christmas isn't that, that, that God came. The message of Christmas, I believe, it's that God is still with us. He's still with us. You were in his presence today. Those of you that have invited him into your heart, he's always working on you. He's challenging you. And bit by bit, he's adjusting and he's correcting. He's aligning. Nobody's got it down. We're all growing. My pastor would say we're all growing from amen to there he is. We're all growing. Nobody can look down their noses at anyone in their walk with God. But we're all encouraging one another to keep growing. But know this, God's desire is to be with you. His desire is to be with you. More than anything else, I believe the Christmas message isn't that God once came. Man, it's that he came. And even when Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came. God's with us. Jesus promised, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. I'll be with you. And I love that message. You see it in the book of Revelation. And then I'm going to Refer to a couple of scriptures that you're probably just going to have to find on your own. Revelation 21.3, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Can you not see the heart of God to be with us? From his very name at the birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Because it's, it's, his, it's his desire. It's his desire in the Garden of Eden. It was his desire. It's God's desire today. God with us. God with us. God with us. Jesus came so that not only could he be with us, but Jesus came so that he could be in us. The Bible says, for everyone who believes the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. How important is the incarnation? How important is it that God became man? So important. In fact, out of all the disciples, it's been said that John was the one who walked most the most intimately with Jesus. He was the only one that was at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. He was the only one that wasn't martyred, even though they tried to martyr him. Tradition says that they put him in a vat of boiling oil, the Emperor Domitian did. He was put in the vat of boiling oil, and he just stepped out. And it so freaked the Emperor Domitian out that he sent him to the island of Patmos, and I'm so glad that he did, because it was there on the island of Patmos that John was given that incredible vision that we now have, that's called the book of Revelation. I love that. John, John's writings mean more to me than everything else, not just because he's my namesake, but because of the intimacy that he walked with Jesus in. And out of all the things that John could say in First John that would mark the Antichrist or the spirit of the Antichrist, he said, if anyone deny that God came in the flesh, If anyone deny that Jesus came in the flesh, he's of the Antichrist. So please do not be shocked. The closer we get to Jesus' second advent, and I know we're talking about his first coming, but the closer we get to his second coming, please do not be shocked that people are out there chipping away at, you know, Jesus wasn't really, really God. Well then, he said he was then I guess we're all going to agree that he was insane because we cannot deny that he walked the face of the earth. What are you going to do with the fact that he walked the face of the earth and said what he did and did what he did? What are you going to do with that? I mean, our very timeline, B.C. and A.D., revolves around Jesus Christ. How do you deny that he exists? You can't deny. That's not even a a difficult argument. What you are going to have to fight about is whether or not you see him as being God. And every false religion, every false belief system... Revolves around who Jesus is. So, anybody with a white shirt and a skinny black tie shows up on my front door, I'll cut to the chase: Who's Jesus? Well, he was a, you know, he was a teacher. He was he was a prophet man. He said some crazy things and did some crazy things. Then, I mean, you know, who's who's? No, no, no. I'm not going to argue about that with you. Who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? And Jesus even asked the disciples, "Who do you say that I am?" I don't care what everybody else says it's who do you say that it would be different if we were going to all stand before God one day with a whole bunch of people you know these are the people that influenced me these are the people that no no, no 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 who do you say that I am it always comes down to you and Jesus you can try to make it about somebody else it was my spouse or it was my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my brother or my sister or it was this Christian or that Christian or that pastor at this pa- but it's always going to come down to who do you say that Jesus is Who do you say that he is? The God that so loved the world that he came. Emmanuel, God with us, that he came. He came. God became man. And I know that's difficult for us to maybe grasp, but C.S. Lewis says that for God to become man would be like for you and I to become a slug, the equivalent of God became man left a perfect environment, came to earth. He was despised. He was rejected. And he was brutally tortured and murdered. And yet, before he dies, he forgives him. And then when he ascends, the Holy Spirit comes. Pastor John, I don't know if we're seeing stuff go down like they did in the upper room. Yeah, we're probably not in that much agreement and haven't hung around and prayed long enough either. They were all in one accord. Man, we bicker and we complain about the craziest stuff these days, even in the church. People outside the church got to look at us and say, man, those folks are nuts. Why would I want to attend? Why would I want to be a part of that? I totally get it. It's always about you and Jesus. So you can make it about somebody else. You go ahead and try to pitch that with God. Yeah, but God, you got to admit I got a strong case. You're not even going to say that you're probably not even going to be standing when you are seeing him face to face. Who do you say that he is? The God that became man, or as John puts it in his gospel, the word that became flesh or the new living, the word that became human and lived among us, dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us, loving us so much so that if two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of us promised never to leave us or forsake us he would be with us always even to the end of the age that God that God that's the message of Christmas the incarnation is the message of Christmas well Pastor John it began as a pagan holiday and coffee was a pagan drink when it began too I mean come on give me an argument Um, we made it a day to honor Christ Pastor Johnny probably wasn't even born on December 25th what does that have to do with the price of egg yolk in China we picked a day to honor the birth of Jesus Christ and I think it's only fitting that we celebrate it with giving gifts because the greatest gift that has ever been given was given to us in Jesus' birth and man what a birthday party it was all of those angels, man, when it says hosts, when it says the armies of heaven, I am picturing in my mind, when it's talking about armies, you're talking about rank and file. Must have been thousands upon thousands in a minute, suddenly, suddenly the armies of heaven were there. Those shepherds must have been freaking out. Can you imagine if that would have happened for the religious leaders of their day, the scholars of their day, they would probably have tried to encapsulate it or summarize it well this is what it must have been, must have been some kind of occurrence that made us think that those were the armies of heaven man, not the shepherds their simple little minds they said let's go see this great sight let's go check this out I don't think anybody that witnessed that question, what in the heck was happening the Lord told them what was happening don't be afraid had to have known that it was freaking him out there's got to be something that's both thrilling and terrifying about the presence of the Lord God what are you what are you going to ask of me what are you what are you going to do you're not going to embarrass me you're not going to humiliate what are you what are you going to do hey don't be afraid I bring you good news of great joy I don't believe that that was just at the birth. I believe that Jesus is always speaking similar things. Hey, 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 don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. Come on. I'm going to be with you. Now go. The message of Christmas God with us, Emmanuel. Whether we're gathering in his name or whether we're receiving the promise that he'll be with us always even to the end of the age. That's the message of Christmas. Let's pray.